0: Welcome to the Labor Force Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Strugan, proud member of New York State United Teachers. Come work for Uncle Sam. Business Insider out with a piece. Government jobs are hot right now. You don't make as much, but people like the stability and benefits. As someone who's taught in the public school system for 21 years in county, I can mostly attest to that all except for severe economic disruption, in which my hard work and effort were reduced to a number and I was laid off twice during the Great Recession. Well beyond that, the job appeals to me because the schedule is routine and predictable, but no two days tend to be the same. That offers a combination of stability and novelty to have kept me going all this time. And most notably, it means being part of a strong union, both state and local, and the second most unionized state in the country. It goes without saying, According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as of 2023, the union membership rate for public sector workers is 32.5%, which is more than five times higher than the 6% rate for private sector workers. New York had the highest rate of union membership among public sector employees at 65.9%. Even so, as I talked about in a previous episode, the state workforce stood at just over 175,000 employees at the end of December. That leaves roughly 11,000 positions still vacant that the Hochul administration is seeking to fill by the end of March. So maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. According to the piece, in recent months, government jobs have been trending on TikTok, and government employees are using the platform to educate others about the requirements and steps needed to enter the industry. The uptick in social media discussion reflects a growing interest in the field. As of mid-January. Google Trends show that search terms like how to get a government job or government job pay have reached their highest peak in five years. Universities and hiring platforms are noticing the same trend. Applications to federal employers have increased by 55% over the past year, according to hiring platform Handshake. Additionally, federal employers increased their job postings by 22% on the site. Christine Cruz Vergara, Handshake's chief education strategy Officer said the interest in government jobs don't usually increase at this level just because the economy hits a recession or a hiring lull. Typically when there's a lot of layoffs, more volatility, you usually see more people going to grad school, Cruz Vergara said. It's a little different because it's not like there are cuts happening across every industry. It's very concentrated. Amid a long list of layoffs in previously high-growth industries like tech, young employees are prioritizing stability more than ever. According to Handshake's report, 77% of the current graduating class rank stability as the number one factor they're searching for in a job. Government jobs offer just that. Again, according to the BLS, the median years of tenure for public sector jobs in 2022 was 6.8 years, about 2.7 years higher than private sector jobs. Many government jobs rely on technical skills and experience rather than degrees. While many government roles may not require degrees, most jobs require certifications. The most common include CompTIA, ISC 2, and ISACA. Some roles also require clearances, which can take up to several months to get approved. In my case, that meant a master's degree and permanent certification to keep my job. I remember paying very close attention to all the deadlines and requirements during those years. Fortunately, the red tape lessens considerably as time goes on. Now I can just focus on the work itself. Altogether, government jobs offer several attractive benefits compared to the private sector. Retirement. Generous pensions provide guaranteed income after retirement, calculated based on years of service and salary. Although we have a caveat here in New York, public workers hired after 2012 are in the Tier 6 pension plan which requires them to work until 63 to collect full benefits. As a Tier 4 member, I only have to go until 55. That's an inequity we're campaigning to balance. Financial support. Employee assistance programs offer legal, financial, and other crisis support. Travel opportunities. Some government jobs involve domestic and international travel, with expenses covered and tax benefits in some cases. Education assistance. Most government jobs offer tuition assistance, with some covering the entire cost of education. Student loan forgiveness. After 10 years of payments, student loans can be forgiven. Stability. Government jobs typically offer more job security and stability compared to the private sector. Between benefits like these, the potential for a more stable career, and a pension waiting for those who stick it out, It's not surprising that people are finding the idea of a government job attractive right now, even if it means sacrificing the higher take-home pay of the private sector. For many, social media is their starting point as they consider making the jump. If you scroll through the pages of more than 12,000 videos on TikTok with the hashtag government job, you'll see videos detailing the application process, job requirements, and the experiences of employees in the industry. I want to mention two ways you can support the Labor Force Podcast. Working people need each and every voice raised for them they can get. You can click support on my Spotify for Podcasters page, or you can become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash Each starts at just a dollar per month. Much appreciation for your contribution.
1: Hey hey, ho ho, Corporate got to go. Hey, hey, ho. ho. Corporate
0: got oh go, hey, hey, ho, ho. Go, hey, hey, ho, ho. Now to the fraught private sector. Flight attendants at 30 different airports held a worldwide day of action yesterday. Sarah Nelson, international president of the Association of Flight Attendants CWA AFL CIO, wrote, The biggest flight attendant contracts in the industry are headed toward a simultaneous showdown. At United, Alaska, American, and Southwest, negotiations have dragged on for far too long. Airline labor literally saved the industry when traffic fell by 97% during COVID. We fought four-in-one funding from Congress for the payroll support program that kept airline workers on the payroll and connected to our jobs and health care. We banned stock buybacks and capped executive compensation at the airlines. We saved the industry and the connectivity for the public and stop capitalists from using the crisis to take any more from the working class. Now, our first contract since the pandemic, and for many, the first real opportunity to negotiate improvements since the bankruptcy era following 9-11, are on the line. Together, our unions are staging a worldwide day of action to ratchet up pressure for industry-leading contracts. Nearly 100,000 flight attendants are demanding long-overdue improvements. And here's another thorny issue with flight attendants in pay. From NPR, why flight attendants don't earn their hourly pay until aircraft doors close. Here's why.
1: Okay, I gotta travel a lot for work, and with all that travel, here's something I didn't realize. When passengers crowd onto airplanes with the help of flight attendants, many attendants are not being paid for their time. Most do not begin receiving an hourly wage until you hear them say the aircraft doors are now closed. That's a long-standing practice that they would like to change. And Pierre's Andrea Hsu reports. For flight attendants, clocking in and clocking out is not so straightforward. So we have a lot of time in our days that we are unpaid. Julie Hedrick is a flight attendant for American and president of the flight attendants union there. That unpaid time, she says, includes all the hours they spend sitting around in airports waiting for their next flight and all the hours spent getting people and their bags on board and in their seats. It's our most chaotic and the hardest time in our day, and we can have four or five boardings per day. Flight attendants across airlines say in recent years, things have only gotten worse. Here's Sarah Nelson, president of the largest flight attendants union, representing workers at United, Alaska, and other airlines. Every flight is full. Boarding time is much more hectic. There's fewer flight attendants doing that work. Now, the airlines will argue those hours on the ground are, in fact, compensated. Alaska says on its website, contrary to union narratives, we do pay flight attendants for boarding time. I asked Sarah Nelson about that. She says in years past, the union fought for, and the airlines agreed to, guarantees of minimum pay. Very common today would be one hour of flight time for every two hours on duty. So a simplified example, if you get to the airport early in the morning for your first flight and finish up your day 12 hours later, you are guaranteed six hours of pay, even if you're not in the air for six hours. But, Nelson says, That no longer flies because of the way that the flying has changed. Not only are flights more often full, planes have been configured to pack in more seats. Unruly passengers are on the rise. And since 9-11, flight attendants have served as the last line of defense in aviation security. These are significant duties that we have to perform in addition to keeping everybody calm on board including during emergencies, as we just saw on that Alaska flight when a panel flew off the plane, leaving a gaping hole. Now, there is one major airline that does pay for boarding time. In 2022, Delta began paying its flight attendants at half their hourly rate. Sarah Nelson says that's not enough. No, absolutely not. Over at American, Julie Hedrick says the union and the airline have agreed on boarding pay similar to Delta's, though they're still pushing on other issues. All of us, of course, feel that we should be paid from the minute that we report to work until we go home, but we have to look at the entire package. Including wages, her union is pushing for an immediate 33% raise. American has offered 11%. To draw attention to the broader fight, flight attendants have planned a global picket next month, but don't expect a strike anytime soon. That's because under federal law, it's illegal for airline workers to strike unless they get permission from the federal government. American flight attendants recently asked for that permission and were denied, a frustration for Hedrick given the wave of labor actions last year. UAW, UPS, Writers Guild, the Actors Guild, and not that they've all gone on strike, but they've pushed it to that point and they've been able to get the contracts that they deserve. For now, negotiations continue. The airlines say they have offered flight attendants competitive wages and benefits and look forward to further talks.
0: Nelson went on to say, We have a message for the bosses. We're just getting started. For 50 years, bosses convinced us to give up more and more because we were lucky to have our jobs. For the next 50 years, we're going to make sure the bosses understand they're lucky to have our work. And from CNN... Disneyland's Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy want to join a union. Disneyland employees who perform as various Disney characters at the theme park are seeking to join the Actors' Equity Association, which represents everything from actors on Broadway to strippers in Los Angeles. The union aims to represent 1,700 character and parade performers. Instead, after three days of collecting cards signed by employees, it already has more than the 30% support needed to file for a representation vote with the NLRB but it said it's waiting till it has the support of at least 60% before filing for such a vote or seeking voluntary recognition of the union by Disney. Performers doing the same work at Disney World in Orlando, Florida are already in the union and have been for years, and until recently, the Disney World performers were paid more than their Disneyland counterparts, according to the union. The union contract reached between a coalition of unions and management at Disney World last year pays the performers a minimum hourly wage that ranges from $21.30 to $23, according to the union. The Disneyland performers had beginning $20 an hour until the union organizing drive began late last year. The minimum pay then went up to $2415 an hour, according to the union. But the cost of living is significantly greater in Orange County, California, where Disneyland is located than in Orlando. According to data from the Council for Community and Economic Research, the cost of living is 50% greater in Orange County. Housing costs, which are more than twice as expensive, are the primary reason, but prices are higher across multiple categories. There are more than 21,000 Disneyland employees, who are referred to as cast members by the company, who are represented by more than a dozen unions. Those unionized jobs include everything from retail and food service workers to security guards hair and makeup artists, and pyrotechnic workers, but not the performers who dress up as characters such as Mickey and Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy, and interact with visitors. They love working at Disneyland. It doesn't mean they don't need enough money to live on, Kate Shindle, president of Actors' Equity, told CNN. The 51,000-member union is 111 years old, making it one of the oldest American unions outside of railroads. Everybody recognizes that Disneyland is a special place, she added, but magic alone doesn't pay the rent. We believe that our cast members deserve to have all the facts and the right to a confidential vote that recognizes their individual choices, Disney said in a statement.
1: Patrick Mahomes, you and the Kansas City Chiefs have just won the
0: Super Bowl. What are you going to do next?
1: We're going to Disneyland!
0: Being a Super Bowl champ, I mean, all, always feels great, but to be at Disneyland, too, and uh, being able to enjoy it at, at one of the best places in the world, um, and it really is uh, special, and um, I, I enjoy it every single time, and uh, to be back at Disneyland again after being back last year, um, it's a moment that I hope that I'll keep, keep getting to do over and over again. I think it's just seeing the people. I think um, whenever I get back to Disneyland, I get to see all the Chiefs fans, and all just the fans of, of football and uh, having the best time of their life. I mean, it is um, truly special, and seeing the smiles on their face uh, during the parade, that's really where I uh, get those special moments. And there were Mickey and Minnie dancing on the float beside him. I want to finish by highlighting a book released yesterday by acclaimed labor reporter Hamilton Nolan Power, Inequality, and the Struggle for the Soul of Labor. Inequality is America's biggest problem. Unions are the single strongest tool that working people have to fix it. Organized labor has been in decline for decades, yet it sits today in a moment of enormous opportunity. In the wake of the pandemic, A highly visible wave of strikes and new organizing campaigns have driven the popularity of unions to historic highs. The simmering battle inside of the labor movement over how to tap into its revolutionary potential or allow it to be squandered will determine the economic and social course of American life for years to come. In chapters that span the country, Nolan shows readers the actual places where labor and politics meld. He highlights how organized labor can and does wield power effectively a union that dominates Las Vegas and is trying to scale nationally, a successful decades-long campaign to organize California's child care workers, the human face of a surprising strike of factory workers trying to preserve their pathway to the middle class. Throughout, Nolan follows Sarah Nelson, the fiery and charismatic head of the flight attendants union, as she struggles with how and whether to assert herself as a national leader to try to fix what is broken. The Hammer draws the line from forgotten workplaces in rural West Virginia to Washington's halls of power and shows how labor solidarity can utterly transform American politics if it can first transform itself. A labor journalist for more than a decade, Nolan helped unionize his own industry. The Hammer is an urgent on-the-ground excavation of the past, present, and future of the American labor movement. Definitely going to pick up a copy for myself. Nolan is an incisive reporter. So, this should be quite good and is clearly needed right about now. Well, that's all for today. Solidarity. Talk soon. So, thanks for listening. Please share, rate, and review to help others find the show. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And speaking of listening and broadening your worker contact, The Labor Force Podcast is now affiliated with the Labor Radio Podcast Network, an indispensable labor source where you can find many more shows like this one. You can check it out at laborradionetwork.org. Until next time, take care and stay union strong.